welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what is antibiotic resistance and why should we be concerned about it? Just to kick off, my voice still sounds like this as it did last week, and it's because I'm not on an antibiotic, because I'm not contributing to antibiotic resistance. Um, I'm going to kick this off, though, with a scary stat. In the US, one person dies every 15 minutes because of drug resistance. One person in every 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, you'll say that's in the US, what about here? Antibiotic resistant superbugs caused 219 deaths in Ireland each year. That's according to a report last year, 219 a year. The HSE has been trying to make us more aware of the problem. You'll probably have heard advertisements uh, telling you to fulfill your course of antibiotics, only take them when they're prescribed by a doctor and not to use them for pesky colds and other viruses, only when you really, really need them. There are terrifying reasons to heed those warnings and we'll be hearing all about antibiotic resistance and its ramifications today from Maria Delaney, who is an investigative reporter with Noteworthy, the journal.ie's investigation unit. Maria has a background in science and pharmaceuticals and before joining us worked as a science and health journalist. And Fiona Walsh, assistant professor at the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. Maria, we're going to kick off with a glossary again today because Lord knows I need it for this one. Um, But a couple of things that we'll be talking about that we need to kind of just have explained so we can just run through everything. The name of this podcast, it's Antibiotic Resistance. When we say that we're resistant to antibiotic, what do we mean by that? Um, So it basically means that the antibiotic normally used to treat an infection no longer works. And um, it can occur in bacteria and funguses and other types of microorganisms. But in this podcast, we're mainly talking about bacteria. So it's the bacteria itself becomes resistant to the antibiotic. Yeah, and they develop a different variety of mechanisms. So sometimes the bacteria can actually break down the antibiotic so it no longer works. Other times it just um, develops a way of that the bacteria just doesn't affect it. So it's just a different variety depending on the bacteria. So it's either killing it or ignoring it. Exactly. Both dangerous. Okay. A microbe. So a microbe is a microscopic living organism. So it encompasses things like bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites. And bacteria um, is probably the one you're most familiar with and it makes up the majority of this group. So millions of them live inside our bodies every day and we're totally healthy with them. We actually need them for our health, but sometimes they um, can become effective and cause infections. Also viruses, um, so they cause colds and flus. And interesting, they're not actually technically alive um, because they need to be inside a different organism cell to live. So that's kind of an interesting fact about them. And they're way smaller than bacteria. And then also another one you might have heard of is fungi, and they come in a variety of shapes and sizes. So we have things like mushrooms that you eat every day or eat for dinner. And then you have things like mold. But there's also um, fungi that live inside you that can sometimes become um, infective. And one of the most common is thrush that you might have heard of, and that's caused by candida. Yeah, these are all kind of ones that you've, you know, come across in in pharmacy or whatever. One I mentioned in the uh, introduction there was a superbug. What do we mean when we say a superbug? So superbugs are microbes that are resistant to the normal treatment. So things that you would normally treat things with. So um, the most common type of superbug that we hear about are bacteria. But there's also other um, superbugs with funguses and other types of microbes. But bacteria is the one that we're concentrating on today. What are the kind of superbugs that we'd be talking about in Ireland mostly? Okay, so one of the most common types of um, 
superbugs that we talk about in Ireland is MRSA, and that stands for methicillin resistant Staph aureus. And Staph aureus is a type of bacteria that it, it grows on like 20 to 30% of people's skin and it doesn't affect them at all. But then sometimes it does become infective. Um, and the problem with MRSA is that it has developed resistance to the most commonly used treatment, which is methicillin. So it no longer can be treated with this. So it's a lot harder to treat. And um, that's why it's called a superbug. What exactly then are we talking about when we're talking about antibiotics? So antibiotics are actually chemical compounds that either kill or inhibit the growth of bacteria. And they're specifically designed for bacteria. So they have absolutely no effect on viruses. And the reason for that is that viruses... um, don't use the same mechanisms to live as bacteria and antibiotics are targeted at the mechanisms that bacteria use to survive. So they're completely different things. So that's why you're told not to use antibiotics for a virus like a cold or a flu, because they have absolutely no effect on them at all. So that's um, so antibiotics, um, they were modified over the years as well. So they started off with kind of basic penicillin and they've modified to be kind of have less side effects and be more effective against bacteria. And that's one issue at the moment is that the more modified antibiotics are the ones that are being resistant to. So people are kind of using older antibiotics and are having more side effects. We love at the Explainer, Maria. I know this is your first time going right back to the beginning. Um, why, when, how did we discover them? Who's the brain behind the first antibiotic? So there's actually a complete accident. So Alexander Fleming, who um, discovered the first antibiotic in 1928. So it's actually quite a new discovery in, in terms of science. And it completely revolutionized the whole field of medicine. But it was a complete accident because he was actually a really messy scientist. And he he was a microbiologist and he used to just grow bacteria. And he just went off for the summer and left a whole load of bacterial baits sitting in the corner, didn't bother cleaning them up. And, um, and then when he came back from his summer holidays, his former assistant Marilyn Price actually just called in and they were looking at some of the bacteria that they left over the summer and um, there was mold growing on some of them and they noticed that um, the bacteria wasn't growing near the mold. So they were like, oh, that's interesting. Something is killing the bacteria. So what Alexander Fleming did is he took the mold and it was a penicillin mold and he isolated a compound that turned out to be the first antibiotic. I love the idea that everything just seems so living and I guess it is, but you kind of can give them all little like personal human traits. Um, so how did bacteria end up becoming resistant to antibiotics? So we, so we as humans created them, we tried to kill all these bacteria and then some of the bacteria were like, no, I'm going to stay alive. How did that happen? Well, the first thing is that we didn't really create the anti- antibiotics because there's always been this war between either bacteria and some other environment or something like that. So there's different organisms create actually things to protect themselves. And then we kind of harness that to make antibiotics. So they're actually natural substances that we've harnessed from the environment. Um, And as with evolution, we have this... um, if something evolves something to protect, another thing will evolve something to fight it. So it's, it's all this evolution thing. And I suppose one of the things that we have done is we've amplified that and we've made it happen quicker um, because of our kind of careless use of antibiotics. So that's kind of, it's, it is a natural process, but we've amplified it and made it quicker. So have these superbugs come into existence because of antibiotic resistance? Yeah, so some of the superbugs have um, developed resistance from antibiotic use and that happened because 
um, they, whenever antibiotics were used, maybe people didn't finish their course or um, they weren't strong enough against the bacteria. So the bacteria lived and bacteria grows massively quickly and you can have millions of bacteria after a few hours. So their evolution process is a lot quicker than ours, which takes years and years and years to have uh, our children. <laughs> the other thing about bacteria is they can um, transfer resistance to their peers. So they don't just have to transfer it to their, what we would call, they're not technically children, but they're children. Um, they can also transfer it to their friends by just um, kind of shooting out DNA from them into, the, into their friends. So it, there's this huge transfer of resistance. So if you have some bacteria that survive, if you're kind of half treating them, um, then this resistance builds up. So that's kind of one mechanism. Another mechanism is that sometimes bacteria are actually just naturally resistant to, um, to antibiotics and it's not anything we did, it's just they happen to be very resistant. So it's kind of a mixture of both of these things. We've talked about MRSA. What are the other bugs that the medical professionals and people who are probably in hospitals a lot most worried about? So um, one of the ones that medical professions are really worried about is one called CPE. And this is carbapenase producing enterobacteriaceae, which is so we'll quite hard CPE. To, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so um, what that breaks down as, so the enterobacteriaceae is actually Greek for gut bacteria gut bacteria rather than good bacteria. And they encompass a large group of different organisms. So it's actually a huge group of organisms and it, it, with names like you might know, E. coli and Klebsiella. And um, these have, so these live naturally in our gut and they don't do any harm at all. But then they become dangerous when they have evolved to have this enzyme, which is carbapenemase. So that's the C. Um, and when they produce this carbapenemase, this breaks down a lot of penicillins and other antibiotics. So they basically are resistant to a huge spectrum of antibiotics with this with these enzymes. So that's one that um, a lot of medical professions are really worried about. And um, it's kind of an emerging threat. So it's um, it was identified around 20 years ago, but it's now spreading across the world and kind of getting increasing, increasing numbers. And it's really hard to treat and eradicate because it's such a wide variety of organisms. Whereas something like MRSA, it's one bacteria and it's resistant to meticillin and it's a lot easier to kind of control and eradicate that way. Um, I remember a headline from a couple of years ago, it might even be longer ago now, about super gonorrhea. Is that a superbug as well or is that is the STD thing a different thing? No, no, that's also a superbug. So the gonorrhea obviously is an STMI or an STD and um, a lot of STIs are actually increasing at the moment. But this particular one, super gonorrhea, is resistant to the normal treatment for gonorrhea and it's very, very hard to treat. And that is one that people are really worried about around the world because it's increasing at a very rapid rate. So that's another superbug that we're worried about. Other, there's also other ones. Um, there's bowel bugs, VRE and ESBL, and they're quite a difficult thing in Ireland as well. We're trying to control those as well. So those are kind of other ones that they're looking out for. I'm equal parts fascinated and frightened, um, but... I need to ask, what are we doing that's actually speeding this up? And I don't mean just we as in medics or people who are in hospital a lot, like us as in people walking around every day, maybe getting colds, maybe getting infections. What are we doing when we get antibiotics that is speeding this up? Yeah, so one of the key things that we're doing is using antibiotics when they're not needed. And studies have shown that increased antibiotic consumption correlates with increased antibiotic resistance. So basically, the more we use antibiotics, the more resistant the bacteria become because they're kind of exposed to them more. 
So I suppose something that we personally do is we put GPs under pressure when we go to the doctor. We want to get our value for money. We want something out of it. So that's one thing we kind of put pressure on to get something when we go to the doctor. And that something is often antibiotics. Um, another thing is, um, actually, I saw this on Twitter today, that some crashes are actually putting pressure on um, kids, they're not letting them back into the crash if they have a cough unless they're put on an antibiotic. So it's those kind of pressures that people do that um, kind of help spread antibiotic resistance. One of the other main things is not finishing a course of antibiotics. So if you think you're better and you, oh, I don't need this anymore, finishing the course is actually, um, there's a lot of research done into how much you should take for to kill all of the bacteria. And if you feel better, it means that the antibiotic did its job because it helped your immune system. So antibiotics don't just act on their own. They help your immune system fight the bacteria. So they've helped your immune system enough that your immune system can probably fight the rest of the infection. But you need to take the rest of the antibiotic in order to kill all of the bacteria so that it doesn't build up resistance. So it'll be way harder to treat if it gets infected again. So that's one other thing. Um, not washing your hands after using the bathroom is particularly important for these bowel superbugs. Um, and also um, if you're visiting hospitals to wash your hands and use hand gel. Um, antibiotics in agriculture is another huge thing. Um, some countries still use antibiotics as growth promoters and it's nothing to do with actually treating infection. Um, and that's been banned in the EU since 2006, but it's not banned all over the world. So that's another thing that's really um, dangerous. And one of the final things that we're enabling the process is that we're not developing new antibiotics. And one of the reasons for that is whenever a new antibiotic is developed, it's put in a last reserve list because it's something that the bacteria hasn't seen before. So, and it's only used if nothing else works. So it's not very profitable for pharmaceutical companies to develop new antibiotics. So a lot of people are calling on governments to actually fund this development. So a lot of what we're hearing there, it kind of seems like maybe it was inevitable that the bacteria would eventually create a resistance to the antibiotics. So did we just speed up the process of what was going to come down the track anyway? Yeah, it was always predicted, like even from back in the, when, it was, when we first actually invented antibiotics, um, um, the development of antibiotic resistance is completely natural and it's inevitable. But we, by our unwise use, have kind of speeded up the process and we've reduced the effectiveness a lot quicker than it would have happened. Is there any good news to bring us um, in relation to what antibiotics are being developed or any other therapies being developed? There is some exciting research in this field um, kind of away from antibiotics. So obviously um, some people are trying to develop new antibiotics, um, but that's limited by budgets and things like that. But there is two different developments. One is um, scientists are looking at proteins to fight bacteria rather than chemicals. So antibiotics are chemical based and um, using proteins it, it can be um, a different way of doing it. One of the more interesting ones is using viruses um, and the viruses are called phages and this is called phage therapy and these viruses are really cool looking. They're my favourite type of virus. Um, they're, they look like a moon lander and they what they do is they land on the bacteria and they inject their DNA into the bacteria and then this DNA integrates into the bacteria's DNA and they make the bacteria make more of the virus until the bacteria explodes and releases more viruses and it's called a smart bomb because they're targeted at harmful bacteria well the researchers are trying to target them at harmful bacteria and then um, the other kind of 
more helpful bacteria and friendly bacteria that's in your gut and everything are left alone. So this is a really, really cool idea. And it's actually, it's not a very new idea, but it's kind of been re-emerged now with antibiotic resistance. And it's still in its very early stages. It has been used successfully in some patients, but it's only kind of used as a very last resort um, because it's still in the early stages of clinical trials, which has to be done before it, it is widespread. Yeah, so if we don't uh, kind of get a grip on our antibiotic use, where could we end up? How What could the scale of this thing end up being? Like the stats I had there were, you know, over 200 people dying a year in Ireland. That's a lot of people from something that seems un- uh, that seems avoidable. Yeah, like so a lot of these bowel bugs are actually increasing every year in Ireland. So it's only going to get worse unless we get it under control. Like already antibiotic resistance or antimicrobial resistance um, results in around 700,000 deaths each year worldwide. And that's actually predicted to rise to 10 million by 2050 if we don't make some radical change now. So it, it, it will have a huge impact. And it's not only on figures of people who will, who will die. It'll also impact on our whole healthcare because we can't do surgeries. We can't do a lot of different procedures without antibiotics. And this isn't just something like a huge operation like a transplant. It's also minor surgeries um, and people could lose limbs over just getting a tiny cut. So it's basically pushing medicine back hundreds of years if we lose this. Well, back before 1928 anyway. I presume because of CPE and MRSA, it's already having those kind of impacts, maybe not as extreme, but there's probably impacts already being seen in hospitals. Yeah, it's, it's changed medical practice in recent years. Like patients are screened on admission for um, things like MRSA and CP. Well, they should be screened, they're not always screened. And um, they're isolated or cohorted, which means they're put with people with the same bug. Um, and that also has impacts on the hospital because they might have empty beds they can't use because someone with those bugs is in that room. So it has impacts on ward numbers and trolley numbers. Um, and hospital staff obviously use gowns and gloves and other techniques to limit the spread. Um, but one, one impact is um, in Ireland, we have a complete lack of isolation beds, especially in public hospitals. So this is having a big impact. And like, say, in September, the latest report for CPE, 10 patients weren't isolated properly, which means they were at actual risk of spreading CPE to other patients. And that's because of lack of infrastructure and lack of facilities. So those are the kind of things we need to put in place to prevent um, kind of further spread. Could I be walking around with CP or MRSA and be totally well and not know about it? Yeah, most people with superbugs actually don't have any symptoms. And it's only if you um, are kind of sick or vulnerable or those kind of things, or maybe if you've had a procedure or an operation that you can maybe get an infection that goes into your blood or something like that. And I suppose one of the really scary things about CPE is that 50% of people who get a blood stream infection, which is septicemia, actually die of that infection. So that's one of the reasons why it's it's so scary. Yeah, as you said, it is it is terrifying. So what can we do about it? Is there anything I can do as a normal person um, or the general public can do? Yeah, so I suppose the HSE recommends that you don't ask your doctor for antibiotics for a viral infection like a cold or flu. Um, you don't skip any doses of antibiotics and make sure to finish your entire course, even if you're better, like we said before. And don't give antibiotics that have been prescribed to you to anybody else because they should only be prescribed by a doctor. Um, and wash your hands um, after going to the bathroom, use hand gel. And I suppose one of the other things is if you're actually in hospital, you have a greater risk of picking up 
any infection, but also superbugs. Um, so you should take precautions, like don't get too buddy with the other patients in the room, like don't borrow anything from the patients or sit on their beds or things like that, because you don't know what they might be carrying. And you should also tell staff if you have a superbug to prevent the spread of it to other patients. I'll just bring Fiona Walsh um, from Manute University in at this point. Because Fiona, we've been talking um, a lot about how this impacts humans, but there's an agricultural element to this as well. Um, can you explain why and how that manifests? Yeah, so um, we get sick, but animals also get sick. Um, and the the bacteria that uh, cause infections and diseases in animals need to be treated so that they don't die. Um, and they need to have antibiotics as well. So the, the problem in animals is the same as in humans, that the overuse of antibiotics over the years has caused the selection and spread of resistant bacteria as well. So they can't be treated in some animals now as well. And that's the that's the problem. And is and is there any work being done in that area to make sure that um that problem is being stemmed or that new antibiotics are coming on stream or what's the research work being done? So most of the research work has been done to make sure that the resistance doesn't travel from animal uh, bacteria to human bacteria. So there's been a, a very human-focused um, research group really so far. And the idea is uh, what we're looking at in, in the lab for um, our research is to look and see what are the resistant bacteria that are within the animals themselves and how can they be treated? So are they resistant to everything? Are they resistant to just one or two antibiotics? And how are those pieces of DNA then moving between different bacteria uh, within the animals or also into the environment? Does it, if um, animals are on antibiotics, does that mean they eventually come into our food, into our kind of human, into the human world? So there are... um, Antibiotics that are given to animals that are the same as humans, there are some that are only given to animals. But uh, there are also regulations that make sure that the meat that we eat doesn't contain a certain level of antibiotics. So they're all tested. Um, The antibiotics themselves don't come into contact with us then via the the food chain. But the, the difference is that when you have something like an animal farm and the manure that comes from those animals, um, is spread on land that then transfers sometimes into water. But each of those contains bacteria. And if animals have been treated, then the the manure will contain bacteria that are potentially antibiotic resistant um, and they can come into our water or they can be accidentally transferred onto our food. So if our animals are healthier, we'll probably end up being healthier as well. Yeah, so the the idea really um, for for most of the the kind of the global attitudes is try to keep animals as healthy as possible because a healthy animal doesn't need an antibiotic. Uh, the difficulty for that is that if you have a very large number of animals um, and intensive farming, which is is what most people do, you have a very large number of animals housed together. And if one of them gets sick, it's it's a little bit like a, a huge classroom. If you see one one of the people get sick, then it's much easier to spread across all of the people in that room. And that's really the difficulty when it comes to animals. It's very difficult to take that one pig or cow or sheep or whatever, or chicken, if there's thousands of chickens, and treat it separately outside. So usually what has to happen is the whole herd or flock gets treated um, for the, the intensively farmed animals. 
Something you come across when you do research in this area is the one health perspective. Is that what you're talking about, keeping full herds healthy at the same time? Yes, so the the One Health would um, really refer to the idea of looking at humans, animals and the environment together. So the idea of what I was talking about earlier on that, um, you know, animals are treated with antibiotics, humans are treated with antibiotics and uh, all of our wastes go into the environment. So if we look at any one of them in particular in isolation, you're only going to be looking at one third of the problem. So the One Health concept is that you look at the problem in all of the different areas together so that you try to minimize the movement of those resistant bacteria from one area to the other, or you minimize the amount of antibiotics used in animal production and in human health as well. What are the other challenges you face with trying to get this research to make a a tangible, real-world difference? Uh, Usually, well, the, the first thing is that we need to get it funded. So if, uh, if antibiotic resistance isn't a priority, um, if the way that research is funded is based very much on products and industry, then antibiotic resistance won't be funded. So um, this means that we have to, first of all, make sure that the government is aware that the policies they currently have for funding research won't fund research in this area. So they need to change those. The second part is that, um, you know, we, we get money from the EU to look at, at European problems and Ireland is part of the EU. So that's the, the best way for us to do that. So a lot of our research money comes from the EU um, pots, but also nationally funded. So that's the first difficulty is, is actually getting the money. The second then is when we have the results from the, the research is to get the government again to listen to what we're saying. So if I'm talking about manure in fields and saying this is very important for the environment, it's very important for the Department of Agriculture, that only matters if the Department of Agriculture or the Department of the Environment actually have the doors open to listen to us. So we can do the research, but we can't necessarily translate that into policy because that's not what we do. We don't know how to translate it into policy. So we need other people to come in and take the research results and translate them into policy. And that takes quite a long time. We've probably all been prescribed a a round of antibiotics and not got to the end or missed one or two. How worried should we be about ourselves if we've done that? And also about, you know, how much we've contributed to this global problem that's killing people? Yeah, so um, just to to explain, first of all, that when you take an antibiotic um, and when we talk about antibiotic resistance, we're talking about the bacteria that become resistant. So humans don't become resistant to the antibiotics. So it's not a case that uh, because you didn't finish your course of antibiotics, uh, they may never work for you again. That's, that's, that's not going to, to be the case. But the problem is that if you don't finish the course, um, you may have killed 99% of the bacteria that caused the infection. But that leaves that 1%. And that 1% then may have developed resistance because it's in a lower amount of antibiotic. And that 1% can then possibly re-cause an infection. Um, If if you're healthy after not finishing your course of antibiotics and you're okay, then the the personal implications are are small or non-existent. But the difficulty then is that if you um, carry a resistant bacteria and it gets transferred in the waste or transferred um, out into the environment, and those pieces of DNA that because of your not finishing the course, have been selected for, 
you increase the amount of those globally. You increase the amount of those within Ireland. And the, it's a percentage kind of idea that the more of those that you have circulating around, the higher chance that they will get into something that's causing an infection. And the, if they get into a bacteria that causes an infection, then whoever has that infection won't be treatable with that antibiotic. So it's, it's, it's a long-term um, implication really more so than a a short-term implication for yourself. Well, I am thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly scared and frightened. So thank you very much for that, Maria and Fiona. I am now going to go and, I don't know, confess myself for having never fulfilled an antibiotics prescription as I should have. But thank you for explaining all of that really dense science stuff to us in such a friendly manner. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Maria and Fiona for their work on this episode. Just a reminder before we go about another podcast from thejournal.ie. Stardust, a six-part special, looks back on St. Valentine's Night in Dublin 1981 when 48 young people lost their lives in a nightclub fire. Hearing from the bereaved, the first responders and those who have been fighting for justice, reporter Sean Murray and the team ask, how did Ireland handle such a tragedy? And was much of what happened in the four decades since dictated by class? All six episodes, which are heartbreaking but incredibly important to listen to, are now available wherever you listen to your podcasts. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bowen, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying the episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And more importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time.